Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 24 through 35, and then verses 53 through 56. This is God's word. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it? And believe you. What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jumping down to verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment for silent reflection, and then we'll bless and send our children into children's ministry. Gracious God, as we hear these words now, in the silence, in this reflective moment, perhaps the most silent we've been all week, because we continuously are bombarded with messages, advertising, marketing, all those voices telling us to achieve more, strive more, be more, do more, purchase more, with the worries and the cares and the concerns of the Delta variant of the coronavirus, with society opening and opening with restrictions and two steps forward, one step back, and all of that with a simple confusion or distraction of being a human being. We come from a variety of experiences this past week. Some of us 
approaching this scripture with belief and faith and trust and anticipation of what you might say or do. Others of us remembering a time we used to believe these things and now you seem a million miles away from us and we're wondering, what happened to you? Or what happened to us? Some of us skeptical, questioning, curious, wondering if we could actually believe these things to be true. Most of us a combination of all of these perspectives, somewhere in the middle. But however we find ourselves right now, Help us to see that in all of our diversity of perspective and experience, we actually have far more in common than we realize. Each of us is beautiful, created in your image and likeness, and fractured, broken. We're, we're what we might call a beautiful mess. And you see us. You know us. In all our beauty and all our brokenness, you know us and you move toward us in love. That love is demonstrated in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes and ears and minds and heart to your truth and to your grace. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, this week, I went swimming on Friday. And as you may know, in La Jolla, the bat rays are all coming into the water right now. And so it's quite a normal circumstance to be swimming and realize you're in the presence of a bat ray or two, usually 10 feet away below you swimming, innocently, harmlessly, non-threateningly. So I was shocked this Friday as I was out at the quarter-mile buoy with my neighbor. And I do a lot of swimming and a lot of talking. I don't know if that surprises you, okay? We're at the quarter-mile buoy, and we're stopping for a chat. And the sun's rising. It's a beautiful morning. And I, I'm looking at my neighbor, and this something that looks like a shark fin three feet away from him, pops up out of the water and moves toward him. I said, what is that? And it was a bat ray that for some reason hadn't gone to swimming school, or at least not the same swimming school. It was on its side with its one wing coming up out of the water, going straight toward my neighbor, who instinctively batted it away, pun intended, and it, it swam away, and we didn't see it again. But after that moment, I was on guard because we're swimming and my mind started, I think through all, if, if, like if this would have been a terrible moment, like a crocodile hunter moment, Steve Irwin, who was killed by a stingray, what would I have done? What would my reaction have been? Would I have swum for the beach, which butts right up against cliffs with the mansions on it? How would I climb the cliffs with my buddy on my shoulder? Or would I swim for a boat? Or would I scream for a lifeguard? I have no idea. And it's at that moment of swimming that I see another bat ray. And then two, and then four, and then eight, and 16, and somewhere between 30 and 40 or more bat rays all around me in a school. It felt like trying to parachute through a fleet of airplanes coming through the sky, and I was terrified. I experienced that moment very differently because of what had just happened at the half-mile buoy. It woke me up. It gave me a similar experience, but with a very new perspective. It was like smelling salts. And we come to this passage today, which if you've been around church for any period of time, you've heard of Jesus referred to as the bread of life. And if you come to him, you'll never be hungry. If you believe in him, you'll never be thirsty. But then he adds this other piece at the end, the surprise, the twist, as Jesus does. And he says, and by the way, when I'm talking about bread, I'm talking about me. I, true life, deep life, is not a product that I manufacture and then hand over to you. 
It's not a gift that I produce, and then if you earn it, you can have it. True life is a person, and you're looking at him. And I have to tell you, as, even as I read that scripture when he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, there's prefiguring this table that we come to. Early Christians were not cannibals, just to set the record completely straight. But I, I got to tell you, did you feel uncomfortable when you heard that being read? I wanted to call time out and just explain that right then. Because Jesus will always get in front of you and say, I want you to think about this in a new way. How do you take me into your life? How do you have a deeper relationship with God? It's like eating bread. How do you eat bread? If the bread remains unbroken, it will never nourish you. You have to digest it. It has to become part of you. The bread does not work on you externally by simply looking at it or simply licking it and getting a taste. Bread only has its effect on you if you make it part of yourself. And a biologist can come in here and tell you or a doctor can come in and explain nutritional metabolism better than I can. But somehow, the bread actually becomes part of your body. He says, I want you to take me into your life like that. That you don't just approach God. You don't just live with God. God wants to live in your life and give you an entirely new life altogether. But that challenges us because it immediately begins to ask, what is the bread you're already eating? What are you feeding on? What's giving you nourishment and nutrition in your life? Because we are all focused on something to answer that question. Wherever you think you'll find life, sustenance, meaning, significance. You will make a beeline for that thing. You will make that thing your bread. Jesus says, are you aware of what the bread is? Are you still hungry? What are you hungry for? So in the time we have, let's consider this bread in a new perspective. This bread is for you. This bread is for the world. And then how you access this bread. First, this bread is for you. See, Jesus has just fed 5,000, at least 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And now he's teaching about what that pointed toward. So they're coming to him saying, that was an amazing miracle. We want more food. And he says, don't you realize that was a picture of life, of what it's like to live with me? So Jesus is going across the Sea of Galilee, and these crowds come to him, and they say, we want more. And he says, I am the bread of life. The New Testament is translated from Greek. And the Greek language has two different words for, that are translated as life in the English language. One is bios, from which we get the term biology. It means biological life. Brain waves, heart rate, respiratory systems working. That's life. He's not talking about that kind of life. He's talking about life in the Greek is zoe, from which we get zoology. It's talking about a quality of life. He's talking about the difference between existing and living. You know, every couple years, a new sci-fi novel comes out, and it's always some variation on the theme of being able to exist forever. They want to live forever, and all of them in their own way end with terrible tragedy because the person's miserable. Existing forever is hell. You want to live forever. And he says, are you alive right now? 
It's like when my son Levi and I, we took a trip years ago, and the flight attendant, I think, was just having pity on me for traveling with a small child. And she said, you know, we have some extra seats aboard the plane, and you can either have the entire row to yourself in regular seating, or I can give you two seats in business class. And I, with my young son, I say, oh, he loves business class. Let's go. We had never been in business class together before. And it was there at 35,000 feet while he's drinking all the soft drinks he can and has food on demand and TV on demand. And he leans back and he goes, Dad, this is living. (laughs) Now, what did he mean in that moment? I think you know what he meant. He didn't mean that five minutes earlier he didn't have a heart rate. He didn't mean five minutes earlier he was inanimate and had just been born. He meant in that moment there was something about a quality of life that he hadn't had before. Now, we laugh because a small child thinks living is a bunch of sodas and Netflix on demand and all that. But what are you using to tell you that you're living? It might not be all you can drink Diet Coke. It might be your career or relationships, your finances, the way you look, the amount of friends or followers you have on Instagram or Facebook or you name it. What is it? that's become your bread? What are you feeding on? Scripture always gives you these diagnostic questions. I'll give you two examples, but they can be scaled all the way out to pretty much any aspect of our lives. There's a place where the Apostle Paul is writing to a new church, and he says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's a diagnostic. He's saying, where are you finding your joy? Where do you get courage? Where do you get the ability to talk to to newcomers at a cocktail party? Is it the liquid courage? He says, don't you know that if you knew how much God loves you and accepts you, you would have courage all the time? As one person said, some drink to forget. Christians come to this table not to lose our grasp on reality, not for reality to become farther off and more dull, but to heighten our sense of reality, that you are known and loved that the final word on this world is resurrection, not death. And so you can be fearless. Or in this passage, Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes, but come to me for food that lives for eternal life. Elsewhere, he says, do not build up treasures on earth where moths can destroy it and rust can corrode it, but rather find your treasure that's with me. See, I think he's saying, If your career is the thing that tells you that you matter, that you're successful, that you've made it, that people, doggone it, people love you and you're, you're acceptable, it will drive you into the ground. But if you already know that you're loved, if you already know that the love of God would never leave you or forsake you, you can be fully known and not ashamed, then you can work ferociously at your career without having your identity wrapped up in it. If in a relationship, you are taking that partner in the relationship and saying, you complete me. I need you to be for me what I could never be for myself. I need you to satisfy my ever desire. We might not say those things out loud, but when we treat our partner in a relationship that way, A, that's codependency. B, that is a recipe for a disastrous relationship. Disappointment for you and resentment for them, it's not going to go well. But if you can say, all that I ever need, I already have in the love of God who created me and would never leave me or forsake me, then you can actually love other people with no strings attached. You can actually give without 
a need of receiving. You can stand in this world on your own two feet, look the world in the eye, and be comfortable in your own skin, no matter what. It's living, not just existing. He says, are you living? This is bread for you. I will give you bread that doesn't have you escape reality, but heightens reality. The Son of God, come down. I feed you. I forgive you. I nourish you. I reunite you with God and redirect you, give you a new identity altogether, a new nature, a new mission, a new life. Jesus is bread for you. And Jesus is bread for the world. See, Jesus has just fed this entire multitude of hungry people, and he says, this was not just a parlor trick to develop more followers. If all Jesus wanted to do was develop more followers or show his raw power, he could have done something much more David Copperfield or David Blaine or pick your magician David that you really like. He could have rolled up his sleeves and made a fireball and said, watch this, and hurled it at a tree as it gets incinerated. If he merely wanted to show his raw power, he could have levitated in the air and done skywriting and loops as he lands and says, now come to me. But what does he do with his power? He sees hungry people and he feeds them. He sees people on the outside of society and he brings them into the center of society. He sees dejected sinners who are sick of letting themselves down and he forgives them. He sees broken bodies and he heals them. In other words, here's what the miracles tell us. Not just that he has power, but what he came to use that power for. And what is it? To deal with suffering. It shows that God doesn't like suffering in this world any more than you or I do. See, all of us at some point say, why in the world does God allow all this evil and suffering? Christians ask that question too. If you're not asking that question, it means you're probably not paying attention to what's going on in this world. We all ask, why does God allow all this pain and suffering in the world? And along with the rest of the world, Christians have to say, I'm not exactly sure why. But I do know this, that Jesus' life shows us that God cares about it, and God is doing something about it right now. God is actively at work to renew all things in this world, which both gives a Christian a sense of hope in the midst of trial and a sense of purpose in the midst of this world, to join that great mission of renewal. Walk with him, trust him, follow him. When John the Baptist earlier sends the message, Jesus, are you the one we were waiting for to renew all things, or should we wait for somebody else? Jesus says, go back and tell John. The blind see. Lepers are cleansed. The poor have good news preached to them. In other words, the physically broken are being healed. The spiritually alienated are being brought in. Those who are facing injustice are receiving justice. He's revealing the kingdom of God. He's enacting it. Each miracle is a preview of the new creation that Jesus is bringing. So think about that. If the miracles in Jesus' life are signs of the new creation, are signs of the kingdom of God, how would you describe the kingdom of God? 
What does it look like? What kind of king would you expect Jesus to be? And what would it look like for you to live into it? One of the things I love about the Renew community is there are many of you that have found this to be a respectful place to ask all your questions, to process the claims of Christianity. And I know some of you, I know some of your stories, you wouldn't say you're a Christian and you devote your life to all sorts of meaningful causes. Whether it's a career of scientific research, trying to find a cure for cancer, whether it's the way that you organize for social justice in this neighborhood and in the city, the way that you teach children in our educational system, the way you raise your children in your home, you pour yourself out on behalf of others. And I would suggest to you a question and a thought. The question is, if all we have is our existential moment and all of this just turns into dust, why does it even matter? But the thought is, is it possible that you care about all these causes? You care about all this renewal? You mind this transformation. You pour yourself out because you actually love the kingdom of God. You just haven't met the king yet. And perhaps now you're beginning to see, I invite you to consider that Jesus is the king that you've been waiting for, a king like any, unlike any other. I think you've already seen this multifaceted vision of renewal that cares about spiritual transformation and being reunited with God and cares about physical restoration, that cares about individual renewal, your life, and minds the business of communal transformation. This is why Renew Church aims to proclaim the good news in a way that is understandable and accessible and attractive to you and to all your friends. We aim to live into this kingdom, to describe it with our words, and we aim to enact it, to live into it with our actions as we pour ourselves out on behalf of our neighbors that don't have enough, as we bring together people who don't normally come together in this unlikely social community gathered around Jesus who's making all things new. That's why we'll gather after this service for a bit to talk about your place in God's mission. Each of us has a role to play, not only for the good of the world, but for our own good. Now, how do you access this? Don't try this without the gospel. This is not a self-help class. This is not five steps to your best life, and if you master them, then you'll achieve it. How do you get fed by bread? You receive it. In fact, when you look at the actions of the crowd, here are the, all the things the crowd did in this passage. Verse 24, they looked for Jesus. Verse 25, they asked for him. Verse 34, they asked for this bread. Verse 35, they came to him. They believed in him. They trusted in him. Do you see? All you need to be fed by this bread is to recognize you're hungry. All you need is need. All you need is nothing. And it's in that moment you are ready for the feast. So you come to him. See the gracious invitation. Verse 35, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. He's here now. And see the startling inclusiveness of his grace. Verse 32, 
It's not only for you, verse 33. It's for the whole world, verse 35. Whoever comes to me. And in Greek, that word whoever is translated whoever. With no asterisk. With no caveat. That means it's for you. Whatever you did last month or last night, that means that you are not outside the bounds of God's grace. However you walked through these doors or you logged on online this morning, it means it's for you. And your action step is to run to him, to receive him, to feast on him. And you return again and again. If, I, if we were to eat this bread, which you will be invited to later today, and I said, by the way, you'll never get ever, any bread ever again in your whole life, it would be good news for about 30 minutes. But you return to the table again and again, and you feast. I think that was one of the truest, most pure prayers we could ever hear in Scripture, verse 34. Sir, give us this bread always. Maybe as you develop in your prayer life, that becomes an incorporated part. God, I'm hungry. Feed me. Feed me for my physical hunger. Feed me for my heart hunger, my soul hunger, my spiritual hunger. Help me to find in you whatever I'm looking for in fill in the blank. And return to him again and again. It's intriguing. When John talks about faith, John the gospel writer talks about faith, he does not use the Greek noun pistis, which is the noun for faith. He uses the verb form, pistuayen, which is to believe, to have faith, to develop faith. In other words, he's saying faith is not a noun that you possess. Faith is a verb that you enact. Bread is not merely meant to be eaten, although it is meant that. It is meant to be fuel for you to go out into this world. Jesus' life was taken, blessed, broken, and given to this world. Just as this bread will be taken, blessed, broken, and given to you as we feast on him together, and then we are taken and blessed. Literally, the last thing you will hear in this service is the blessing. Taken, blessed, broken, and given for this world. And as you do, the world will never be the same. But as you do, you will never be the same. As he does his good work in us. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we consider this bread for the world, this bread for us, this bread which is you, give us eyes to see and the courage to admit that we are a hungry people. Help us to admit the truth about ourselves without being ashamed or losing hope, but rather in our hunger, redirect us back to yourself. Feed us. Give us this bread always. Nourish us. And then send us out as bread for a hungry world. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.